Whether you're starting your first e-commerce product or you're trying to scale your e-commerce brand, the truth is that many of us are smaller businesses. We're side hustlers, we're part-time business owners, and we might be growing these brands, but the truth is we don't always have the resources that we think we do, and sometimes we think that we can't compete. But in the world of e-commerce, we have a few tricks up our sleeve, and one of them is being able to present a maybe more robust or larger brand image than is in reality, but it helps us compete on these platforms against some huge brands. In today's episode, we're going to talk about exactly how you do that. Really, really good information. Stay tuned. Watch to the end. Here we go. Hi, I'm Tim Jordan, and at every corner of the world, entrepreneurship is growing. So join me as I explore the stories of successes and failures. Listen in as I chat with the risk takers, the adventurous, and the entrepreneurial veterans. We all have a dream of living a life fulfilling our passions, and we want a business that doesn't make us punch a time clock, but instead runs around the clock in the AM and the PM. So get motivated, get inspired. You're listening to the AM PM podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the AM PM podcast. Today, we are talking about branding, and branding is one of those things that I have some mixed emotions on especially as an e-commerce seller and even more specifically as an Amazon seller. If you've heard any of my content before, you've heard me say things like branding is massively important. You've also heard me say branding is not important. And I think the difference is, you know, where you are in your timeline, your roadmap, right? And just to clarify, I think that you can definitely get started selling your first product on Amazon without worrying too much about branding because people are so worried about this massive brand build out. They haven't even launched a product. But as you continue down your e-commerce you know, road, you have to be building brands. It's becoming more and more important today you know, than it was yesterday even. It's, it's, it's massively valuable. I think there's a lot of misinformation about what a brand is, how you develop a brand, how you cause people to perceive that brand, all that good stuff. Truth is, I'm not necessarily a branding expert, but today's episode, we have one. So today we have Ian Bauer who actually has a pretty cool history because he started selling on Amazon about the same time I did. And just a second, I'm going to ask him to give his uh, kind of a history of how he got started selling on Amazon, what he was doing, and how he has since then become a visual branding expert. So welcome to the uh, to the podcast, Ian. Thanks for having me. So go ahead and give us just a quick rundown. I already alluded to the fact that you started selling on Amazon about 2015, but give us just in a few minutes kind of history of how you found Amazon, got started on that, and then just kind of walk us through that history to where you're at now, which is this visual branding guy, because, you know, we need a little context to the information and the, uh, the experience you're going to share with us. Yeah, sure. So um, I got started in Amazon the way a lot of people do, which is retail arbitrage. Uh, essentially, you know, I was kind of looking for like a side hustle. I was a chef at the time and hated it uh, and wanted to get out. So I was looking for a side hustle. So I got into retail arbitrage. Um, and actually what I did was I found this thing called retail arbitrage and I told my wife like, Hey, this thing is like shopping and making money and you should go do it. Um, and she did. And, um, the minute like a spreadsheet got involved or, or she had to like use QuickBooks online, she was all done. Uh, and then it became my problem. So I took over the business and I hate shopping. Um, and so, you know, I was all done with retail arbitrage. I tried online arbitrage for a hot minute and that was terrible too. So I gave that up. And basically, my business evolved into wholesale, uh, the wholesale model of, you know, buying from manufacturers and brand owners and selling on Amazon. Um, and then since then, it's evolved into also brand management on Amazon. That's actually a you know, big part of what we do now. 
But uh, something that happened was um, uh, I've, I'm not a graphic designer, but I've always enjoyed graphic design. I've always really loved art. Um, and so I, I knew that I always wanted to have like a graphic designer on my team. And I would always make up excuses to have a graphic designer on my team. Uh, and for a while, it was merch by Amazon. That was that excuse, you know, so I always had that, that designer there. Um, but uh, in my network of entrepreneurs, you know, us in the Amazon community, we're always on Facebook and in groups. And, you know, so we always seem to be in these networks. Um, they started to, you know, basically take notice of the designs that my designer was producing and became interested in that and want to know how they could have her create designs for them. And the issue uh, that that they seem to be expressing was not that they couldn't find a good designer. I mean, there's good designers everywhere. The issue was that they were getting bad results from good designers. And what it broke down to really, and where I kind of figured out my own secret sauce is that um, I was a I was better at communicating with graphic designers than peers in my network. You know, um, and I, I was able to uh, you know get better results because of that ease of communication. And so I became, you know, like, so these entrepreneurs would say to me, hey, uh, you know, this is what I'm looking for, right? And then I would translate that to the graphic designer for them, and they would get better results. And so that's really how Graphic Rhythm came to be. And we kind of just kept growing that. And now we've got 25 graphic designers on our team and creative directors and all kinds of, uh, you know, people involved. But that was really the start of, you know, facilitating better conversations with graphic designers so that you get better results from graphic designers. So you just said something that's interesting. You said that, you know, these graphic designers might be really talented, but they were having poor performance. And I think you alluded, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think you alluded to the fact that just because you have talent, if you don't know how to direct that talent, it might not produce the results that you want to. Right. So, you know, maybe as an example, we need to think of, graphic designers as a carpenter, right? But if we don't know how to build a house and explain to them through plans, this is how I want the house put together, it doesn't matter how amazing they're cutting and hammering and nailing is, like it's not going to turn out right. Is that what you're saying? Like, like there's a component of communication with some experience and expertise that's needed to fully utilize a good graphic designer? Yeah, exactly. And it's called creative direction. Um, and that, that is a, a role within the graphic design world of creative director. And uh, interestingly, creative directors are not always designers, although they frequently are. Usually it's a, it's a graphic designer's next move is to go in a creative uh, direction. But a lot of people uh, are, you know, can be a creative director if you're, if you're good at, um, you know, directing somebody or, or, you know, kind of seeing the matrix. And you know, the uh, analogy that you use is one that I often use, uh, which is this idea between, you know, um, you know, a construction worker or a carpenter and a general contractor, you know, or, or, or even the architect of the project. And there's a difference between the person who's like, you know, who can think creatively and, you know, um, kind of synthesize and interpret your direction and turn it into something versus somebody who's more of like, I'm going to go hit the nail really good, you know? <laughs> and uh, another, another example I often use comes from my own background, which is, is cooking, right? And so, you know, you really have to think of graphic designers in a lot of cases as cooks. They're great technicians. They have the skills, but you, they don't always do 
great when you give them generalized information and ask them to, to be creative. Because believe it or not, creativity is really difficult. And it's a, a learned skill to kind of interpret what somebody wants and translate that accurately into what they want to see. And that makes a lot of sense, but it's very counterintuitive or contradictory to a lot of the mainstream, especially e-commerce content out there, education, which says, hey, go to Fiverr and go to Upwork and find a graphic designer, right? Like I think that a lot of times, and I'm not disagreeing with you, I'm just pointing out like a lot of times we're told differently. We're told, hey, go out and find this $5 freelancer to make a logo. But what you're saying is, hey, you can find a great contractor or a, a great carpenter, but, you know, or a great, you know, Photoshop person. But without having the direction, you're missing the boat, right? Is that accurate? Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and it's not to say that that they're, you know, like if you go to Fiverr or whatever and find a graphic designer, that person very well may be excellent at like that art direction. They're great at interpreting what you want, right? But very often you have a bad experience. And, you know, there's a tendency to blame the bad experience on like the designer's skill, but it's not their design skill necessarily. It's just their ability to have conversations with you that get the results that you want. So that's the real difference. So you've got three positions. You've got essentially the brand owner, the person that kind of knows what they want. You've got the actual executor. This is a skilled labor. This is a skilled position that can, you know, put it all together. But then you have the creative director in the middle. And the creative director doesn't always have to be a different person. Sometimes the graphic designer fills both roles as the creative director and the actual developer of this content. Sometimes the brand owner can be the creative director. So I think this is great. If you think of three functions that have to happen, I think all of us that are listening can evaluate, hey, do we do a pretty good job as a creative director as well? Or maybe we realize, hey, maybe this is why every time I've hired a freelancer, or hired a, a graphic artist to do this, it didn't come out like I want because maybe that's what you're missing you're missing someone to fill that role or someone that can fill multiple roles, which is great. I've never heard that described before, but it makes total sense. Even in like the videos that I do, I've got a great video editor. He's exceptional, but he needs direction, right? And when it comes to like video, I'm pretty good at directing that, but I suck at directing graphic design, like brand logos or even visual images I suck at, but he's pretty good at that. So even when we transfer between video and still images, the roles change based on people's individual skills. So this is cool. This is like eye-opening for me because I never realized that that is a tangible uh, asset. That's a tangible function that has to be filled and we need to make sure it's filled by somebody. So I think that that helps a lot of the listeners here. All right, so let's, let's keep moving along because what I want to talk about is the necessity for good branding visually, right? I already said it before in, in some positions, you know, you don't necessarily have to have a great brand to get started selling products, but you do need to start building brands to have an actual tangible business asset and to increase your sales and all that good stuff. But that's tough because many of us that are listening are small businesses, right? We don't have a Nike swoosh on the side of our baseball caps. We don't have, you know, existing brand presence. And a lot of times we don't have the budget for giant branding agencies, right? We can't spend 10 grand just to get a branding package put together. But we're competing with people on these platforms that do, that they do have the branding, they do have the pedigree, they have huge budget. So what I'd like to ask you is how we as small businesses can create like big impact branding, but for small businesses. How do we compete with these folks by putting a lot of like power in our punches while still being fairly lightweight ourselves? Can you give us some actionable steps and, and information on that? 
Yeah. So the first thing that I would say um, is definitely take it seriously. And there was definitely a time when if I was asked the question, do I need to invest money in a logo and visual identity? Um, at the beginning of my business where I'm just getting started, there was a time when I would have said no. And th- th- even, you know, th- owning a design agency didn't change that. Like, you know, I would actively have clients that came to us and say, hey, is now a good time? And I would say no. And my my thinking on it changed because um, one of the things that a visual identity does, consistent visual identity, is it increases consumer confidence, right? Um Especially in a in a marketplace environment, but equally as important in on your own website, you know, definitely if you're advertising on social media, you want to look, um, you know, like a like an established brand more or less. Okay, uh, consumers are very very sophisticated these days. They definitely understand, you know, that there are, uh, you know, things like Chinese sellers that are, you know, on the marketplace. Uh, you know, or, or, you know, maybe more fly by night operations. And what they're looking for is essentially, uh, you know, signals, uh, you know, signal to them that you're an established brand, that they could feel confident that, you know, there's actual people behind it, that, um, you know, this isn't just a stand up kind of brand that, you know, who knows next week, maybe it'll be gone. And so the way that you do that is just, it's, you know, take it seriously. And it doesn't have to cost a lot of money to do it. Um, I do recommend that you have a professional logo designed and as importantly, a professional visual identity. And, you know, if you've ever had a logo designed, and this is my experience, so I, I always, we build uh, at Graphic Room, we build our services a lot of times based on the, my, my experiences and the experiences of business owners, right? And so my experience with logos, and I have done all of the logo things. I've done the Fiverr logo, I've done the 99designs uh, logo competition, right? And I've always hated it. It's always been really terrible. Um, and uh, one of the big reasons why was because I get a logo and I'm like, okay, now what do I do with it? You know, like, do I just put it on everything? You know, how, like, how do I functionally integrate this thing into my business? And um, that was always challenging for me. And so when we came up with like our visual identity package, it was a big help. And, and we really focused on like, okay, like if we're going to hand this thing off to a business owner who's probably going to use something like Canva or, you know, something like that, like, w- can we give them instructions? Can we give them like examples of how to use all this stuff? And and by having examples and being kind of embedded and, and have a, having a really strong understanding of what your branding looks like, and I'm using the word branding, but I always mean visual identity, what that looks like, you can create this sense of consistency. You can create this sense of confidence in the people that are looking at your brand, that are shopping uh, for or holding it in their hand, whatever it may be, wherever you're interacting with them, you want them to really, um, you know, feel connected and feel confident about it. And let me stress a point here, which, which you just made, which I think is important is a brand is more than a logo, right? A lot of people say, I want to brand my product and you get a logo created and they think they're done. No, logo is a small piece of it. And even if you have the best logo in the world, if you don't know what the heck to do with it, then you're going to to miss a big opportunity, right? You said it. It's like, where do I actually place this? What what do I, you know, on my packaging, how big, how small, where does it go? Uh, where do I put it on my product itself? And then you alluded to not just a brand identity, a brand package, right? Like an entire branding kit or a branding guide. So it's not just about the logo. It's about the font on your packaging matching the font on the logo. It's about 
the color scheme of your packaging or the color scheme on your your image backgrounds that are going to fall into the same, you know, plan, right? Like the, the kind of explain to me what that means. Like it's not just about a logo, but it's about an entire brand guide. Like explain what a brand guide is maybe. Yeah. So traditionally, if you get um, a logo and visual identity package, what a designer will do is they will design your logo. And then the visual identity is kind of like your guide to using your logo. It includes like um, your uh, your logo lockups. And lockup is an industry term that just means configuration. So like maybe you'll have a horizontal or a vertical, or maybe your brand mark will be separate from your word mark, or maybe there's like a secondary seal or something like that, right? So it'll include all that and the rules for how to use it. Like, And I, I've always felt like the rules were, you know, kind of weird to include. I think that it should go without saying that you shouldn't stretch out your logo or, or distort it in any way. But a lot of times that's included. Um, and then uh, your brand colors with their hexadecimal um, and CMYK and RGB color, color values are in there. And then uh, typically the next thing is you will have uh, fonts and typography, right? So that's what most uh, design agencies start with as a basic uh, basis for a visual identity guide. And then um, in our particular case, we go further by also including um, color applications. So we show you exactly how to use that those colors. We put your logo on different backgrounds and color combinations. We actually mock up uh, your your visual identity on different things. Like So we'll create mock-ups of like t-shirts and business cards and stuff like that. We also include what's called, what we call um, design uh, key design elements. You know, so you know if there's a pattern or uh, you know a particular design element that gets repeated or that's important or central to the brand, that's in there. And then the the last thing is imagery. So you know um, maybe that could be stock photography or illustrations or something along those lines. And so when you walk away. When you have a visual identity guide like that, it's easier for you as the brand owner to go to Canva and create a Facebook post that includes these elements because now you know you can look at this visual identity guide and say definitively, yeah, this matches, this works. Even if you're not a designer, you can at least have the elements there to create that consistency. And then, of course, if you pass that to a graphic designer, then they'll be able to use their skill combined with this visual identity guide to really create some great looking and engaging designs. So you just complicated the process, all right? Because, you know, we e-commerce entrepreneurs have always been told this is easy. Go to Fiverr, get um, get a logo. But what you're saying is it's not just a logo. Like the logo may be a cornerstone or like maybe a starting point for this entire brand identity, brand guide, like this whole this whole thing, right? Which I, I agree is important. But does it matter? Like, and I know that, of course, the answer is going to be yes, but I'm going to actually explain it. Like, does this more thought out, detailed, established, more professionally done, visual brand, does it actually increase consumer confidence? Does it help us make more sales? Does it help us increase the price of our product? Like explain the benefits of actually going through this slightly more complicated process that you're talking about, or maybe more in-depth investment, right? Like tell us why it matters and what difference it actually makes. Yeah. So in uh, 2017, Adobe published a study um, called the Adobe State of Create Report. And in that study, they um, they demonstrated, and I, I don't remember the numbers, so I'm not even going to attempt to uh, uh, quote them, but but the, the big takeaway was that most consumers prefer to spend money with brands 
that look professional, that take design seriously, and that present themselves as a serious uh, company. And so there's a couple things. Um, there is, from a practical perspective, the value of having your logo designed professionally. And and I look, I, I'm a business owner. I Like I said, I have gone to Fiverr and got a logo. Um, there are still projects where we're like, let's just mock up a logo real quick and slap it out there, right? And that's completely fine. You you need to you need to determine for yourself, you know, um, you know, your level of commitment and 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 whether or not you want to get this stuff done right away. But the practic one of the practical things, um, and this uh, and as an example, I recently spoke to a brand, um, and they had uh, had a logo created um, with an internal designer. And the actual logo was pretty um, pretty much useless as a logo. Uh, it, there was a lot of like gradients and shading and layered stuff in there that, you know, imagine that that logo one inch big on a, a hang tag or something like that. It was actually just not possible to do it. So it was not functional as a logo, right? Just practically speaking. Um, and so, it, you know, like a, a professional designer or a professional logo designer would have caught that, you know, like for instance, in our business, when we do a logo, we don't, we don't design it in color. It's only black to start, right? Cause it has to function as a logo to start right before you do anything else. Um, and so like that kind of functionality was missed, but then, you know, more importantly, the, um, uh, you're, you're in an increasingly competitive marketplace and, you know, there are brands that launch very quickly. And like you said, you're running up against you know, brands with really big budgets and I, and you can afford to have, you know, to, to reconsider your, Oh, Oh. And the other thing about that brand was they had already printed all their packaging. Right. And so now they had to redo all of their packaging because that logo was not, is, is not good. So the things like that, you know, spending the money up front to have this stuff professionally designed will um, save you money down the road. Cause you won't have to redo it. Right. Uh, and you know, like if you're just kicking the tires, don't, don't bother, you know, take that advice and go get a cheap logo done and, and kick the tires. But if you have determined that this is a business that you want to continue to pursue, I really recommend, uh, you know, taking a plunge and, and straightening out your visual identity so that you save money on your website and having to redesign your website and you save money on your packaging and having to redesign your packaging and so on and so forth. So that, you know, that's all thought of ahead of time. That makes a lot of sense, and it's it's easy to be distracted with all the stuff we have to do when we're launching a product or creating a brand or launching a brand, right? But what you're going back to is that that principle that I like of measuring twice and cutting once, like spending a little more time to get it right now because you're right. We get wrapped up in so much stuff, whether it's a website and social media and packaging and actual putting the the logo placement on the product potentially and this and this, this. And it's easy to get six months down the line and look and realize that all of it was done differently, right? And then we have to go in and fix that. So it's better to do it right the first time and only cry once, so to speak, right? Do you think that there is a, a opportunity for us smaller brands to out position our larger competitors with branding because maybe some of these quote unquote more established brands are not doing it as well as they should? Maybe they've gotten complacent. Like, do you think that we can position ourselves better than the name the, the name brand household brands out there because we're more agile, maybe we're paying more attention and we know some better tricks of the trade? Tell me what you think about that. Yeah, so 
I mean, generally speaking, not even graphic design related, but um, you know, smaller companies, they don't have a lot of the assets and they don't have a lot of the budget, but they do have uh, a lot more time and time and attention. And um, that's one of the really beneficial things that they can leverage. You know, if especially if you happen to be a Viking at Amazon, you know, uh, so a lot of these big brands are just not good at Amazon. And if you're better at Amazon, then you can win. Um, I remember reading a report a couple of years ago how, and it was basically comparing, you know, like the biggest brands on Amazon uh, compared with how they they fare in the real world. And I, I want to say that Coleman was an example, like the, the best selling sleeping bag on Amazon at that time was not Coleman, even though that, that you know, they're obviously industry leaders, but, but they happen to be bad at Amazon, right? Um, and so, you know, being agile in that way is uh, really important. And, you know, you really just have to, a lot of, at least private label sellers, they also start out with a single product, which is a big benefit. And if you treat that private that single product, you know, as a flagship, and and you go all in on making it look really good, then you're also going to set yourself up for building a brand when you add a second product, and so on and so forth. Um, you know, so if you consider the journey of a Amazon customer, you know, they want to check out your brand presence on Amazon, so they're looking at gallery images, any plus content, and storefronts, and so on and so forth. You know, but maybe then they're going to go check out your website. And does it match or does it look like something that you threw up on Wix really quick and use one of their templates to put some stock photography in? You know, so to me, to, to that customer, maybe that's a sign, depending on what your product is. You know, if it's a $20 product, they're going to take a risk. But if they're going to spend something, you know, more money on you, then maybe they're not so willing. They would rather go with something more established. So, um, yeah, so essentially, you know, you have the ability to be agile. You have the ability to put your time, attention and focus on it. and there are opportunities to win and, you know, outposition yourself uh, in marketplaces and even on your own website, just by virtue of the fact that you can devote your time and attention to it. And a lot of times we feel like it's a David and Goliath situation, right? Like we're trying to come on this huge established platform going against these huge established brands, but like we've got a pretty cool rock and that rock is flexibility. And maybe the concept that we can learn faster and stay more cutting edge. You know, I was, I was actually on a call yesterday with walmart.com and having a strategy call with their third-party marketplace community manager, right? That's what she was saying. She's like, Tim, anytime I try to get something done, I have to go through just layers and layers of bureaucracy, right? And as a company gets larger, things slow down. They get quagmired and too many chiefs and not enough Indians and everybody's got to sign off on something and this and this. But e-commerce isn't waiting around and brand demand from the consumers is not waiting around. And the way that people are finding products and finding brands, whether it's through social media or different channels, it's not waiting around. So we do have this crazy advantage of being able to move faster and, and adapt quicker than these big bureaucratic, you know, enterprise level brands and companies. The Coleman example, I actually saw that example years ago with tents. If you typed camping tent or backpacking tent on Amazon, like the first 30 brands were not brands I'd ever heard of. You know, Coleman couldn't keep up. Kelty couldn't keep up. North Face couldn't keep up because it takes so long for me to do that. So that's encouraging for us because when we learn, and all of you that are listening to this are learning, like you're you're educating yourselves. You're out here, you know, in the in the you know swamp with us, trying to trying to figure out how to do all this stuff together. Like we know that the little things make a difference. The little bit of branding, the little bit of 
you know, extra work getting a whole brand identity put together instead of just a Fiverr logo. Like those are what's going to set us apart. Those are what's going to make us uh, successful, you know? So what else am I forgetting? Uh, is there anything else related to branding that, that you would like to share that's valuable to the listeners that maybe they need to be spending more focus on or maybe they're, they're ignoring? I would just say to reiterate the idea of consistency um, and, you know, what that looks like. When, when, you, when you talk to marketers, you know, a, a common advice is always to have a consistent message that, you know, like the, the idea of you click on a Facebook ad and then it goes to a landing page you know, and then it goes to a checkout page and you want the message to be consistent. And the minute it's not, people lose confidence, right? And so I would I would really want to re- reiterate this idea of consistency when it comes to visual branding. Um, you know, there's, uh, what you don't want is for a customer to purchase your product or go to your website and be impressed by it. And then, you know, maybe purchase your product and it arrives in a, you know, a, a poly bag or something like that, you know, what can you do to improve that customer experience, you know, and make sure it's a consistent experience, you know, from the moment they encounter you for the very first time, all the way through to post sale, you know, maybe that's an insert or something like that, or your product packaging, uh, you know, or a, or a nicely designed email from your Shopify store, something along those lines. Can you keep it consistent? Not only the design, but also the the words, the tones, the the messaging, you know, and by having that consistency, it's confidence, right? And then now what what you're trying to really do, ultimately, the big goal here is to um, establish yourself in the mind of that consumer as the brand for that problem, you know? And a good example I'll share is, you know, like two years ago, I had to buy a bike rack for my car. Um, And I spent a lot of time uh, looking on Amazon, right? And the the brand I ultimately went with, I went with because they were able to demonstrate that they've been around for a few years. They had an Amazon storefront. I could check out their website. And this year I have to buy a new one. And instead of spending all my time going out in the world and, and trying to find a new um, bike rack, I decided I'm just going to go to that brand and buy the upgraded model because I've been, I was happy with it. I was impressed with the whole experience. I you know, I feel really confident in them and that's what I'm going to do, you know? And so that's a $200 sale that they've earned by just being consistent. You know, it didn't come in, you know, a crappy box or anything like that. Or, you know, when you go to the website, they clearly care about what they're doing. So, you know, stay consistent and and create a consistent experience in order to keep that confidence up and, and position yourself as a solution to their problem. Well, this conversation has done two things. One is it has challenged me because, you know, what you're saying makes complete sense. And sometimes I don't take this branding seriously enough. And, and I think I'm missing big opportunities potentially. So I feel challenged to, to get my ducks in a row, so to speak, make sure that I'm very, very tactical and intentional in everything that I do with brand consistency and, and making sure that I'm, I'm portraying myself the way that I'm going to need to portray myself to compete in this market. The other thing that's done is it's encouraged me. Because sometimes we do feel like we're going to get outgunned, right? And sometimes we do feel like it's very hard to be competitive in this space. But, you know, everything that you've said that matters, it's, it's fairly little stuff. You know, it's not that hard to get a, a decently designed box on your product as, a pair, as opposed to just a, an OPP bag. It's not that difficult to make sure there's consistency between our coloring, our fonts, and our logos when it comes to all the different places that our assets are parked. 
So it makes a lot of sense. So I'm encouraged. I'm a little challenged, but I'm also very, very encouraged. So for those of you that are listening, let me just back up and, and remind everybody. Ian started off a lot like a lot of us did in 2015 by kind of accidentally getting into Amazon. And he has figured out this thing that is very valuable because of his own personal experience. He's not up here pitching his agency. He's not here giving us three reasons why we should outsource that. No, he's literally telling us something that he learned along his journey in e-commerce and something he became a specialist in. So this is this is really, really not just powerful stuff, very, very relevant to us as small businesses, e-com entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, all that good stuff. So Ian, I'm gonna I'm gonna end the episode by asking the same thing that I ask a lot of people. You know, you got into this by accident. You're figuring out how to succeed, obviously, and becoming, you know, an established business owner, but you couldn't have done it all yourself. You had to have some advice, experience, or wisdom from somebody else. And usually those of us that are in this space read a lot of books. So if you had to go to your bookshelf right now and pull one book off the shelf that you wanted everybody that's listening to read that had a large impact on your business, what would that book be? Uh, the book that comes to mind is, I can't remember the name of the author, but it's a book called Paid to Think. Uh, and it's a book that uh, essentially teaches you how to be a better thinker, how to be a better uh, leader, entrepreneur. Uh, essentially, it's really focused on people, executives and business owners who um, you know, want to do a better job at the, the thing that they are paid to do the most, which is think. And I've always loved that. Um, and you know, that book has uh, you know, given me some great ideas and uh, some new ways to evaluate not only like, you know, productivity and, you know, uh, thinking about the way things work and processes and, um, you know, even like people leadership, you know, so I've always really enjoyed that book. And that's one I've not heard of. And usually when someone recommends something on the show that I haven't heard of, I go ahead and buy it and it stacks up beside my bed table at home and I'll eventually read it. I just Google it on my phone. The author is David Goldsmith. So David Goldsmith paid to think. So thank you for that um, that recommendation. And thank you for being on. I know that it's not a small deal to take time out of your busy day to come on here and share information with everybody. But uh, I appreciate it. The listeners appreciate it because that is a sacrifice that you're making for us. And I appreciate you sharing your wisdom and your experience. If any of you listeners have appreciated this episode, make sure to leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you're on. Share this around. If you're in any groups, organizations, if you got some friends that are that are entrepreneurs, Make sure to send this over to them on whatever platform you're listening to this on. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure to give us a thumbs up. Uh, ask any questions you might have in the YouTube comments section below. We monitor that. We can get you some questions. And make sure to check out Ian's graphic design and what's we're looking for? Directing, right? Graphic direction business, however you want to describe it. At which website, Ian? Uh, you could go to graphicrhythm.com. Graphicrhythm.com. And it's spelled like it sounds? Just like it sounds. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you, Ian, for being on. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you guys on the next episode.